Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. Hi, this is Annette. As producer, I thought I'd pop on and just let you know that this week's podcast is is a down-to-earth chat and we've caught up with Diaspora in his friend's house and we've got a very exuberant little five-year-old just helping us out with the background audio every now and then. So I hope you uh, enjoy the chat. It's a bit of fun. Thank you, Annette. I'm excited for today's episode and uh, this week's dose, weekly dose of inspiration. Gabriel Acorn, aka Diaspora, is an award-winning recording artist, producer and poet and founder of the Playback 808 record label. Born in South Sudan, raised in various locations across East Africa, his family migrated to Adelaide, South Australia, a place where music became a way to break down the cultural, lingual and racial barriers accumulated throughout his nomadic experience. And Gabrielle, I met you through the Seven News Young Achiever Awards for South Australia back in 2019 and a pleasure to be chatting to you once again. Uh, I'm excited to be back on here. Actually, we I remember chatting about this the show, and I'm happy that you got this going, and I'm glad to be involved in it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah. I said this to you off air, but just for everyone listening, you know, when we started the Inspiration of Australians podcast, your name was one of the first that uh, that came to mind, and I'm going to tell you exactly why. I'm actually going to read out a text message I've got here in my phone, which uh, right. 18th of May 2019. So for a lot of people, that won't mean anything. But uh, that was the day after <laughs> the Young Achiever yep. Awards event that we had in 2019 in Adelaide. You performed at that event. And can I say that's probably the, the, one of the best live performances. You know, it's, it's, in some ways, it's even though it's a community-focused event, it is, has us have a little bit of a corporate feel because everyone's sitting down at their tables. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be sometimes a hard environment for people to come in and, and do a big performance at. And you just came in and absolutely killed. So this is what I text you the next day. Hi, Gabriel. I just wanted to say a very sincere thank you for not only your performance last night, but your positive attitude and your approach to life. It has truly inspired me and your words about the election and having the power to make an impact and change for the better were the perfect driver for me today. Gave me great clarity what was important and what my vote actually meant. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. It was so great meeting you. And uh, that day was the federal election. (laughs) So it was such a timely uh, moment for you to, to come to make a performance, powerful songs and powerful words as well. Can you remember that that event and that performance? Uh, I can, I can, I can remember it very vividly, hundred percent. I remember leading up to it. I don't, I don't take individual accolades to, you know, like I, I'm appreciative of them, but to me, it's not really what I do this for. So it was an honor to be nominated, even to make it to the finalist. But me showing up that day was actually to deliver a particular message. I'll dive deeper into that in a second, but it just so happened that the federal elections were the next day and there was was a crazy feeling in the air and unsurety and uncertainty from all sides because that was, like you said, it was a political function. There was no, it was a business function. There was no, oh, this is just for this particular uh, group or this, it was everybody. And I felt like the universe, high power put me in that position to be a vessel for people to, you know, hear me and maybe get some clarity around such an important moment. And another thing actually was um, I, I entered that room and that, and that event with a lot of sadness in my heart because 
this was just in the middle of the whole bombardment from Australian media and, and political networks on the whole African issue and trying to build our identity and trying to, you know, literally running our community to the ground um, because people see what is reflected on their screens and that's what it is. So I was really, really angry with the Channel 9s, Channel 7s, Channel 10s for allowing this hate to, you know, just just foster to that level where I had community members who were really, really getting affected by it. So once I found out that the Young Achievers Award was actually tied into Channel 7, I said, all right, perfect, two birds, one stone. I'll go deliver my performance because they actually invited me to go perform as well. And after the performance, I want to have a chat with somebody who is in a position of power at these institutions and let them know what it is I'm feeling the weight my community has been bearing because of the biased politicization of certain, you know, events for certain reasons. And a lot of it had, had to do with the election coming up. People were trying to win election points at the back of my people. I was like, no, nah, that's not on. So after the performance, the most impactful thing actually happened when everybody left and I found one of the executives from Channel 7 and I actually told him this. We had a really constructive conversation for five minutes. He got to hear it from a perspective that he's often shielded from and probably doesn't even understand that maybe the actions of their companies, not just not just Channel 7, this is a whole media conglomerate that was kind of attacking the, the African community at this point and our identity and our existence here. So to look him in the eye and let him know that those actions at the top lead to a six-year-old somewhere randomly in Melbourne getting bullied and, and racially abused at, at six years old. And for them to know this is reality was, was really impactful. So the most important moment of that night actually happened um, behind closed doors. And I'm, I'm actually glad I shared that with you because I've actually never shared that publicly, but you tied it in so well to what we're talking about. But um, besides that, every time I step on stage, I'm, a, I'm an arrow of God. I'm a vessel for humanity. So I feel like I have to deliver a message. And the music is just, you know, it's just one of my UFOs, I guess, <laughs> the Australian. So, yeah, I remember that night very, very, I remember it very well. No, it's great. I didn't know that. So thanks for sharing yeah. it. Um, oh, you're good, man. Inspiration ta- Australians, exclusive. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. And uh, you know, you mentioned I think just briefly then um Australians, your your album, the play on words there. You know, have you had people who whether they message you on social media or just come up to you at a show, people like me who from Anglo-Australian background and maybe we don't understand some of those issues, mm. just go, wow, that that made a lot of sense. Thank you for yeah. for you yeah. know, sharing that through your music. Yeah, 100%. Um I have and a lot of the feedback actually because art is tied in in all angles. So the, the music complements the, the, the visuals. The visuals complement this element of art. So once I actually got the idea of what the Australian would look like printed on a shirt with the help of the incredible Dave Court, one of the, one of the best artists, one of the best young artists coming up right now in all Australia. He just does everything. I think you know Dave, Dave Court. Um, he, point, he, he painted that that huge mural, the biggest one in South Australia. Um, I told him this is what I want to go for. He put his magic onto it. Not everybody gets to access the music because it's within a genre that, even though it's popular, not everybody consumes hip hop, especially in Australia. You know? But to see somebody wearing a shirt that says Australian and there's a bang smack in the middle of alien looking at you and you see uh, the blackest, tallest, prettiest human being you've ever seen wearing it. <laughs> 
it's a beautiful juxtaposition and just from that one glimpse of walking past someone it makes him realize oh okay if i'm australian and he's australian we'll, we'll make him feel alienated it, it's a conversation starter and i was actually um i was at a backpackers in perth sometimes i like to go to cool places you know like staying at a hotel is not always fun so, um if you want life to go to backpackers you meet the most incredible people the next day i was kicking it with these um german guys and couple 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 girls from different areas in Europe, I can't remember what countries. And just by wearing the shirt, the German girl walked up to me and she's like, well, where can I buy that? This is before they were out. And I told her I was not out. And she's like, whoa, this shirt speaks to me so much. I'm like, why? She's like, oh, Australian. That's that's how we say Australian in uh, in German. Oh, really? So it's got a lot of different, yeah, it's got a lot of different touching points. But I think the 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 the, the idea, the notion that it represents is is undeniable. And it gets it starts a conversation, and any time you can start a conversation using as few words as possible, the longer the conversation, the stronger it will be. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, to to, to want to belong, to feel alienated is it's a feeling we'll never wish upon anybody. You know, like mm-hmm. um, imagine feeling not at home in your own house right now. Yeah, like, I think that's a good way. way it's a good way to put it because yeah. you know I've I've struggled with that in terms of conversation with people and how to you know how to wise them. Mm-hmm. A white um, heterosexual male try and mm-hmm. explain things like this where people uh, feel marginalized, they feel unsafe. That's a good way to put it. And that's I think that's a yeah. great if you if you someone would to imagine being unsafe in their own home, what would that feel like? It's a very unnatural, very unnerving feeling. Mm, it is someone true. to feel that all the time must be imagine the stress yeah. it puts on them. Like you don't have to imagine. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Well, uh, can I ask you a little bit about? your upbringing and and that journey as mentioned at the at the top there journey from south sudan through various places coming to adelaide mm. a what are you comfortable to share and b kind of um, what were your first experiences mm. of, of adelaide my journey starts long long time ago from <laughs> the ancient kingdom of wakanda <laughs> aka aka south sudan um yeah, just life just handed me some cards that you know, you reflect back on it, you look at it as either the biggest curse or the biggest blessing. And often those two are intertwined. Mm. You know, um, just recently with the, with the passing of DMX, you know, rest, you know, God rest his soul, the duality of humanity. You can't, it's a give and take. It's even in, even in physics, the same thing exists. So often those that are most cursed are, are usually then burdened to do great things with that curse or it destroys them. So not everybody gets the chance to do that, but in general, that's the way I look at it. Um, yeah, getting born in a jungle in the middle of a war in South Sudan, bullets everywhere, mother running to the camp with you, you're two months old in her back, the rest of the family, people dying at every single chance because somehow you make it. And sometimes, you know, they get the whole survivor's, survivor's remorse. Mm. So out of all these young kids and little children and bones that are left in the graveyard, why me? Yeah. All so special about me that I even made it to a camp and a lot didn't. So yeah. that, 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 that manifests uh, a lot of appreciation for life. Even when you're at your lowest, you have to realize there's somebody low. And once you know it, and once you come from that lowness, even... I, I, I speak about refugee camps and people like, oh my God, they're horrified. But I had a greater low, uh, lower than that, being stateless and not in refuge anywhere in the middle, you know, in the middle of a war. 
So it made me really appreciative of, you know, just surviving and figuring out what can I do to pay this debt to the universe, you know? Um, and the same thing just kept happening. Even though I was in the camps for seven years, I ended up being the 1% of over 70 million refugees worldwide that ends up actually getting resettled back again to the survivors of remorse. Um, I know people even right now that I work with for the Department of Home Affairs through MCCSA, Multicultural Communities Council of South Australia, that spent 21 years in the camps. I was there for seven years. I wish it was shorter, but that's your formative years. That's everything. But then you look at it like, damn, I wasn't there for 21 years. I didn't get yeah. to spend. So uh, every, uh, every step in my life, I've always had understanding of either where I'm going and where I'm coming from and an appreciation of both. Yep. And a, a respect of where I came from and an appreciation for where I'm going without getting too caught up in either way. So yeah, coming here, to be honest, I didn't really want to, nobody wants to leave their country. Nobody wants to leave everybody they, they know, you know, nobody wants to say, you know, what? tomorrow you won't see David Lord Thomas or you won't see Kevin or Susie or Barbara ever again in your life. And these are your best friends. You're just leaving with your family. You're going to somewhere you have no idea. And as a kid, that's even scarier. Like I would never trade losing everybody I know for taller buildings. And, and you know, People don't realize just the sacrifice people make to try to come here. And it's a back against the wall situation. When refugees around the world leave who have no home to return to, stateless, due for whatever reason, it's, it's a scary thought. And they only do it because they have to. Otherwise, a lot of people don't want to leave where they're from. And to be honest, nobody wants to go anywhere that's not their home. I didn't even know what Australia was like. But then when I came here, I started getting understanding, okay, you got your food, your shelter, your survival. Yeah, that's cool. But I've always had that. Even though mm. it was limited versions, I survived this far. So it was, okay, learn the language, survive, but then racism, I had no idea what that was until I came here. That's a disease. It actually just got, it just got listed by the CDC. The CDC um, just made a step to, uh, towards listing uh, racism as an actual harmful disease to human beings. Yeah, right. I did not know that. It mm. It's one of those things. It is insidious, so that, though. It, it grows, so I can see. Oh, like, it, it is. Oh, it's, 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 it's. I, I keep reiterating this everywhere I go because people love Einstein. But outside of his incredible physical theories and, you know, and brilliant imagination and intelligence, he also had a really, really deeply rooted connection to humanity. So outside of his lectures about, about E equals MC squared and all that, he was actually going to universities like Howard and giving lectures saying, Two quotes. He said, first, he said, racism is a cancer of humanity. We need to deal with this. This is, all, this is as bad as anything else, but we're not dealing with it. We, 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 we signed treaties to, to try and at least prevent us from blowing the crap out of each other through nuclear, whatever. We're fighting diseases, but the one thing we're not fighting, we've been letting fester too long. And this is back in his days. He said, yeah, it's a cancer of humanity. And then another controversial thing he said at a, it wasn't controversial, it's was actually honest, but it was controversial at the time to the white people were saying it to. Um, yeah, it went to all white university and he said, yep, racism is a cancer of humanity and even worse, racism is a disease of the white man that if unchecked will end up affecting the world. And if it does, we won't want to live in that world. Going back to one thing you said um, about, hey, mm. you know, refugees, they don't sit there actively going, I want to come to Australia or you know, anyone. People who... 
you know, born and raised here, they, we have this idea. I can speak on my own behalf. I can say I was instilled with an idea mm-hmm. that we're the lucky country, great at everything. Mm-hmm. People want to be like us, but that's not really the reality. And as you said, you were in your own bubble. You had shelter and food and you had your best friends as a kid. Mm. You don't want to be uprooted and your whole life thrown upside down. You'd never experienced racism before coming here. So these are things that I think people need to hear these stories. They need to realize Mm. that, hey, refugees aren't looking at this as like Australia saving them. They're looking at this as like they've been forced to uproot their entire life because they had nothing. Yeah. And I think once we start getting that narrative in our head, understanding that people will will, hopefully start changing changing minds. I love how you approached it by saying that it's been infused in your mind and being at the forefront of the conversation by saying you are a product of that thinking. You just find a way to outthink that, you know? You find a way to beat your ignorance using your intelligence and your experience and you, you did things to get out of it, but it was infusing you to think about like that. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, you can't, can't blame the room for being dark, blame the people that turn the light off. So you acknowledging that is, is one step to that. Um, to be honest, it's uh, like when we first left or tried to leave the camp, we applied for years. We tried to go to Norway, Canada, United States. We tried to go to any country that was stable at that time. We even tried to get to, into Kenya. But it's really hard. And the only country that ended up accepting us was Australia. One um, story I remember from Maya Reze, who was a mm-hmm. previous winner in the Multicultural Youth SA Spirit of Resilience Award, which uh, is the one that you were nominated in, that category. Yep. You know, and that award exists to highlight positive stories yeah. and just show people, refugees and migrants, they come here and they, they're they wanting to be part of the community and it's so good to celebrate them as Australians. So one of his things that he said is, you know, he heard the that cliche of people come from other countries to Australia and they steal Australian jobs. Mm-hmm. He said, I can't even get a job. They won't give me. He said, I'm on a visa. I'm not labeled anything. He was, he couldn't get a job. He couldn't get any type of permanent visa. He couldn't get sent anywhere else. He was in this weird limbo. And he's like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Like, it's just so, that was just so laughable to him. And there's just so many of those kind of. Uh, I, call, I, I, I call that the paradox of. Because. In fighting racism for so long, I started to see the traits and the different forms that comes in. One thing that I'll say, the true blue Aussies, because I, I hate referring to white Australia as Australians, because now it's actually changing. Part of changing it is actually acknowledging that, no, they're not, even though they're majority, they're not Australians. And I have to be as honest to myself and everybody with that. Even for me to want to belong and be Australian, I had to get rid of that mentality. It's 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 the it's the paradox of hate that they create that runs the paradox of hate they create. They come to our country. This is the first step of it. They don't they don't do anything. They're too lazy. They get on the dole and they're just taking taxpayers' money, right? So lose, right? They come here and they're too lazy, or they come here and they're taking Australian jobs <laughs> and they're working too hard. It's like okay, lose as well. Damned <laughs> if I do, damned if I don't. Yeah. So what are we to do? So they, they 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 create they create battle scenarios where we there's no win there's no winning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the little traps I've I've noticed. So and it's so it's, it's, it's it works really effectively. 
Because no matter how much you try to contribute something to this country that took you in, you're going to be grateful, you know, because we do appreciate being here. I love this country. I took my mother in and gave her a place to, gave her, you know, actually I'm appreciative of this. And I love it so much that I want to make it better. That's why I fight. I don't have to be out here doing all this. I can just sit down quietly, make my millions over time, take this hate and then fly back to Africa. I don't have to, I don't have to do this. Yeah. But I love this place. You know, I want to see it get better. Leads in yeah, to a place. question. Sorry. Mm. Sorry, Gabriel. This leads in nice yeah, to yeah. a question I had for you. I've actually written it down and this is just like the perfect segue. Why are you driven to help others? And, you know, we can get, we can come back to this question in a minute because the reason I ask it is, you know, you've founded Playback 808, given a lot of artists, you know, a start or help them in their musical career. You perform mm. at a lot of community events. You've spoken at schools. You've attended rallies and protests and, all of these things, yeah, what, what is it that kind of drives you to help other people? Direct answer, I'm just an unfortunate kid that happened to lose the first seven years of my life in one of the worst human conditions possible, refugee camp. And I look, I, the, show me your child until seven, I'll show you the man. That's your formative years. So I look at it as I almost lost my childhood. Not to say that I did, because there was some beautiful things I experienced because I was around my, my people. But looking at it that way, I lost so much. First, I don't want the next generation. I don't want any child to ever go through that. So that's why a lot of the stuff that I do is driven. And a lot of my work is usually aimed at helping young people. And another thing is, why me? Why am I alive? After why did that bullet miss me but hit the person next to my mother in that jungle? Why? Why don't there's so many instances where I could not have been here? But why am I here? And I feel like as humanity, like there's a price we have to pay for our existence. I mean, we can pay it by not doing bad, but we can elevate that price by trying to do as good as we can. Eventually, after I leave this earth, after we all do, we're gonna have fresh minds and young people to come here, my children, your progeny. And I want to create a world that's better for them because we're very close to potentially creating a world that could be worse, you know? Yeah. And then we're digressing. And another reason, I come from the Monjang people, the Dinka people. I come from the first human beings from millions of years ago from the river now. One of my obligations of our people is men and men protectors of humanity. I have a vested interest as one of the founders of humanity and founding people. I have a vested interest in seeing it go the right way. Let's put it that way. That's, uh, yeah, that's something that would never occur to me. <laughs> that's yeah. a very deep level of understanding of who you are, where you're from, I think. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question that's kind of related to, uh, just because I know that you did that TEDx event and uh, mm. speaking in front of a lot of people, a lot of school students as well. Was that scarier than uh, getting up on a stage to perform, to get up and speak in front of people? Or was it just an extension of, uh, of that? When you're on stage and you're performing, the music is a cue for the words. So you almost have like a conductor with you, which is the music. And it helps you through different parts of performances. And it helps keep you in and on track. And when you perform, you're speaking words that, I saw uniquely you that only you can share them where you do it. So you kind of own them in a, in a way that no other human being can. Whereas I could write a speech 
with 3,000 to 5,000 words, give it to you with enough practice. You could give that talk for me as long as you understand and, and comprehend the, uh, the contents that, that, that entails. It wasn't easy because I had, what, three months to prepare for. And I, I've been preparing all my life saying this thing. I was, the whole premise of the speech was um, the sonic activist, sonic activist Australian story. Um, the child who's not embraced by the village will burn it down to fill his wound. And back to the love in this country, I'm trying to tell them the prelude of what happens if you keep turning a blind eye to certain things. I drew from inspirations from my personal story, what I'm doing and what I know. So that, that was not too hard to do. Writing it in a format where you have to present it. I practiced in front of some random Uber driver one of the times when I was driving. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yo, you want to hear my TED talk? I didn't remember if he said yes or no. I just, yeah. <laughs> I just walked like, into it. Yeah, I just started, went into it for like 20 minutes. Like, wow, that was amazing. Wow, thank you. So yeah, <laughs> just practice everywhere you go. I hope you said yes now that I think about it. But um, yeah, just practicing it and getting it right. One of the scary things was the mic for the first time ever in history actually cut off on me during my speech. So here I am talking about overcoming adversity, you know, and having resilience to be able to, you know, keep moving forward. And then boom, Three minutes into my talk, the mic starts cutting off. Then I got nervous because uh, yeah. that was something I can't prepare for. And why? This is TED talks. Like this never happens, you know. There's not. And then my left leg kind of started shaking. Like, oh no! But this is. It's not nerves. It's something going wrong that was out of my control. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this could ruin my talk, make me look bad. Then I'm like, oh, this is. That's the only level of nerves. But then they, they are about 30 seconds in, uh, one of the guys walks up with a handheld mic. I shook it off. I grabbed the mic. I said, I'm a rapper. I like these mics better anyway. And everybody starts laughing. And then we go back into it. <laughs> That's and brilliant. I, yeah, I got off stage and I was actually really angry. And uh, one of the, I think it was the principal pulled off. He's like, oh, that, was, that was one of the most brilliant talks I've seen. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you were literally in the middle. Your whole life is just like a movie. And you're here in the middle of talking about overcoming adversity and smack in the middle of your talk, your face with adversity, <laughs> and you became it like a, like a kid. I'm like, oh, yes. I did make my talk more powerful. But, yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> it did, but... Yeah, it was... It actually ended up... That was the only time I was nervous when something like that, that you can't expect to happen. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of respect for, you know, for anyone who does that, gets in front of people and, and speaks, because I think it's pretty hard. Like, that's why... Uh, I like this format because it just seems like a one-on-one conversation with you. So it seems very uh, easy for me. I'll give, you, I'll give you a hint. The only reason I do it, the only reason I'm willing to go and share my pain every single time, I don't like revisiting a lot of the things that I went through because I've tried to hide them. That's, that's a terrible time in my life. But like I said, I'm an arrow of God. I'm a vessel for humanity. And part of that is by any means necessary. So every time I step on stage or do anything, I literally kill off my ego and my individual self and I literally think of why am I doing this it's going to impact the real scary thing is how the hell did I talk at the rally for Black Lives Matter in front of almost 10,000 people and I didn't even have a speech prepared and somehow it just came up with it for eight minutes yeah wow like that I had something to say and I had a reason to say it and I don't give a damn any means necessary this has to be said so then it becomes bigger than me yeah that's how I usually do it I take myself out of the equation so stuff like shame and embarrassment leave the window once you do that because it's becoming bigger than your mm. vessel. No, it's a good so way to look at it. There's a, there's a tip for you. 
I like it. Just I like it a lot. I have to ask <laughs> you now about that about that rally. Like, uh, was that planned for you to speak, or was you take an opportunity on the day, or what happened there? Um, it was planned actually about uh, two weeks in advance. The uh, RAW Raw Alliance is an indigenous um, movement and activist uh, group that do incredible stuff in terms of um, working on keeping the fight going for a mob. And they were part organizers of the rally and they, uh, I think they would have heard about me somewhere and they're like, you know, this guy, this is right, he's down in his lane, let's, let's get him involved and want him to speak. So they reached out to me and said, you know what, I, f- I somehow feel like God is preparing me for this moment, so yeah, I will speak. Up to the day, it was, I'm like, what do I say? Because this is, this is going to reverberate around the globe and or in people's hearts. This is a, this is a special moment in people's lives. Everybody, everybody that showed up. They can go and watch their favorite movie again when they choose to, but the moments like this, they're golden, you know? Especially for the whole world being involved. You should have seen the protests in Berlin. So mm. I felt like I was a bigger part of a bigger force. I said, there's nothing I can write that will do me, that will do this justice. This is not a TED talk. This is my experience for the last however long in this country, the experience of black people all around the world, the experience of indigenous people here. And we have a chance to let humanity know just how much and what we can do about it. So because of the the grandness of the situation, that was, well, and I ended up just making some phone calls. A couple of my friends ended up finding out I'm doing a speech. Some people called me saying, okay, this would be amazing to say. And I just... I just got the energy of, of the people and I just, you know, fed off the people. And then by then I said, okay, God will give me, or the universe, or Allah, or Buddha, whatever, whoever wants to call it, the force will give me the power and the words that I will need and bring it to life when I step on stage. So up until I step on stage, I had no idea what I was going to say, but I said it. Yeah. It seems like that would be a rare occurrence, as you said, a golden opportunity where your words were being echoed by other people on the other side of the world. Mm. Obviously, the words aren't the exact same, but the sentiment was the, the same. Exactly, the world. Yes. yes. And I think it was a powerful moment, I think. Mm. I had people in Cairns or in Sydney calling me up in tears because they were watching it on Facebook Live and saying, whoa, thank you for speaking for us in that way. It was a, it was a powerful moment for me. Amazing. And that last moment where I got everybody to put their fist up and told them, you know, before I leave, I want to leave for the blessing. My mother taught me to love. And I hear thousands of people just echoing, my mother taught me to love. My father taught me to fight. My father taught me to fight. If you fight for what you love, fight for what you love, everything will be right. Ironically enough, actually, I felt my, 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 my mother, my father, my people with me on that stage. And Heartbreakingly enough, actually, a couple of weeks after that, um, actually, I ended up losing my father back home. So there was a lot of emotion and energy carrying on even after that. That has really stayed in me for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been such an intense period in your life, dealing with all that stuff, and then to lose mm. your father like that, that would have been so rough. How, how long do you think... So I'm trying to ask you, but you know, almost enjoy life again. Um, lifetime, maybe eight, maybe eight lifetimes. But I realized a long time ago in my life is not for me to enjoy. 
And that goes back to the curse and blessing of being able to do all these incredible things looking outside that I managed to do, but also from a micro level, from a personal level, it is a sad life because once you choose to really take the weight of humanity on your shoulders, your life can no longer be yours. You have to be for the people to continuously, there's no faking, you know? Mm. And once you make that, I wouldn't call it ascension, but once you make that transition to that kind of thinking, you start embracing the fact that individuality might not be a route that is best suited to you. Personal blessing. <laughs> it is, man. Sounds like it. Well, speaking about the blessing side of things, recently mm. you had a show and uh, at the Gov, and you know we talked about just before we actually pressed the record button about our, for many people, and I actually liked your uh, analogy of the blip in Marvel, uh, <laughs> the, uh, Infinity War and Endgame Saga. It was a lost year for some people. You know, yeah. some, some people less than a year, some people more than a year. More than a year, almost two years actually going on. Yeah. And uh, we had you perform at the 2009, May 2019, almost mm-hmm. exactly two years ago, mm-hmm. event, and we haven't run another one in Adelaide <laughs> until <laughs> next month. So it's going to be two years between events. Yeah. Uh, you, you had a headline show recently. Was that? Did that feel like a blessing? Did that feel like a moment of, hey, this is a, a positive thing is happening again? It was beautiful. So this whole coronavirus thing actually happened just before my Australian tour last year. So, end, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, it did because borders started getting shut. Everybody started panicking. That's to say that a lot of my music, as much as it is good to listen to, a lot of it is better felt. So if, like, if you're there and you, you hear what it is I'm saying, you feel my energy, that's going to go a lot further than hearing me on the radio or listening, maybe listening to me like 80 times, but like there's a different energy to that. And that was going to be a really, it was going to be a, uh, more like a catalyst for engaging people in person from different states that I actually never been to before and also spreading that message and, uh, and that sentiment I was trying to send the songs in person. As much as I love doing this right now with you, uh, there's no, there's nothing I would love than to be sitting across from you right now, you know, in person. Great. Yep. And that, 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 there's, that's the, that's the power of human connection. And yeah, so having that show and being able to see everyone and all these incredible artists are performing with me, Lil HT, um, EOK, it was, um, Lil Bo Weep came out, just, uh, she came back from California. She, I saw her for the first time in like two years. Just seeing everybody around and just happy to be around other humans. It was a good, yep. was a good feeling, and then your 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 music being the soundtrack for them having that moment, even better. So yeah, it was it was incredible, and the and the Gov's an incredible venue. Always love performing there; it's just a staple. Well, I can attest to the point about uh, your music really reverberating. Uh, maybe that's not the right word. Really hitting hitting home mm. live because um, you know, I think I mentioned at the start here that when we have these gala dinner events, sometimes mm. the uh, you know the the performers can have a tough crowd to perform to. And, you know, you get sometimes it's during the main meal break or something and you get the clinking of the knives and forks and people are eating their food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the difference at yours, uh, your performance, yeah. Yeah. was a silence amongst yeah. the crowd. And in some events, you know, you go, oh, the crowd's quiet. <laughs> but at this yeah. event, obviously, you know, it's a quiet crowd mm-hmm. and that quiet was actually a sign of people. They put their knives mm-hmm. and forks down. Yeah. They stopped the chitter-chatter amongst mm-hmm. their table. Mm-hmm. And there were 520 heads facing towards the stage 
taking in the words that you were saying. And it was, yeah, it was a truly great performance. And, uh, and I'm, I'm running around all over the tables. Remember when I jumped on stage? <laughs> they were like, where do you go? And the funny thing was, yeah. like, at the, us at the Hilton Adelaide and, you know, the, the staff there are great, but they say, oh, you know, 480 with a, with a big stage like we had is about capacity, but we had 520 guests. So we had the tables mm. right up towards the stage. Yeah, <laughs> and so it did make fear yeah, for a cool scene with you uh, running around there. And I think in the initially we in the conversation was you know you'll be performing a tea drop with the AV crew, mm-hmm. put some uh, some backing music in, and then you were mm-hmm. like, nah, nah, we got to we got to do this right. And you had a drummer mm-hmm. come in. You could barely fit. You could barely fit on the stage because it, <laughs> it was kit. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah and we had Elsie Wameo mm-hmm. performing as well, and you brought her yeah. along. And uh, yeah. it's come full circle now because you nominated her mm. for the awards and she's been selected as a finalist. So that is a well, really cool thing too. Well, thanks to you as well. In part, man, I got to give Josh Griffin his flowers. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, I call this a co-nomination, you know? Well, and, we uh, talked about it last you, year. Playing that we did talk about it. And these things, like back to the blip, like, you keep forgetting that real life is still happening. These things are still going on, but... And especially with incredible year, Elsie's had incredible two years actually since she came back from LA for the car clue grant that she got. Um, it, was, it was really heartbreaking. Back again, I don't really care about accolades, but it was really heartbreaking to see her not win the um, the award of the music essay category. She was nominated in the sole one. It's beautiful because her impact just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I'm back to being for humanity. Like if you're for humanity, you have to be for women. And as back again, as a heterosexual black male, there's a space in there that we fail women and only women could fill to, you know, go and go that extra mile. And sometimes as men, we have to drop our ego and take the back seat. And watching uh, Elsie Romeo, who I, I say, I call her a real life angel, but just watching the way she carries herself from the church to the community to the stage to uh, humanity it's, it's just been beautiful to 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 watch her grow more than an artist and even more so to watch her grow into like a global soon to be global level talent but while still keeping humanity so um big shout out to josh griffin for the reminder that, that, that they're actually going to run the event this year and the heads up and yeah so elsie Romero from playback here to wait is a finalist in the creative categories so looking forward right. to it man that's right man Speaking of Playback 808, can you tell people, give a bit of background as to uh, yeah, why you started that, um, what uh, what it's all about, and, uh, and well, what was, next, I suppose? So, circa 2011, 2010, the zeitgeist of the whole music industry, and especially hip-hop world. Yeah, in Australia. You have to be white, you have to sound like this, you have to sound like them. Like, unfortunately, I look like this, and I sound like me. And a lot of us don't sound, no, that's, we're not white. First of all, we can't, we already, the prerequisite is just, so just, just realizing that. And we wanted to do what we love doing. And for whatever different reasons, there's better rappers on the, on, on my own label than me on Playback Hero. There's better singers definitely than me, you know, there's better performers than me on our own label. But the one thing that I have and the one is, is vision, you know, like all these things can can coexist, but for somebody to have the bit vision to bring them together and to see something that maybe this person can't with all their talent in the world. Um, and that foresight was key to creating Playback 808. 
um, I had to I had to take a I had to take a realistic scope. Yeah. And so at 16, I said, yeah, we'll start our intern. So that in the future, our existence and our whole gift to the world and our impact won't be monopolized by whether they like us or not. So that's why I started playing back anyway. I kind of lived what you're uh, explaining there because uh, yeah. my, my intro, like so many Aussies to hip hop, mm-hmm. was uh, Hilltop Hoods. Yep. And uh, they're my brothers. Yeah. Shout, out, shout out to Hilltop Hoods, man. Shout <laughs> out to Matt. Shout out, you know, uh, shout out to Dan. They're my brothers, brothers. But yeah, continue, man. Yeah. Well, uh, that was my intro, like so many people. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, I, you're right. I loved that Aussie accent. I was like, hey, this is cool. I haven't heard that before rapping. So I think I started following the most Aussie sounding, ochre sounding rappers you could follow. <laughs> But uh, it, it kind of changed for me when I saw Diafrix. I don't know if you know them. Yeah, uh, I thought it was Diafrix. Diafrix. Like Diaphragm. Is it Diafrix? No, I think you're right. You would know more than me. But I saw them at another show. They were supporting. And I was like, hey, those guys, that accent sounds so cool. And uh, so I think people just maybe need to hear it. And that's why, yeah, it's important what you what you guys are doing, what your label's doing, putting those voices out there for people to hear. You hear it. Nah. And, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like... Appreciate that, man. You're no, nah, you're a legend. Like, if, um, I'm not gonna lie. One of my favorite people in this whole game, Hilltop Hoods Boys, Tuffer and Pressure. I remember we did a show in 2017, the Clips of 500. They literally, I walked up to them and said, "Hey, boys, thank you for making them like rap in this country. I got it. We got it from here." <laughs> <laughs> then I who them I'm like, "Yeah, Dice, we know you." But, but then years later, when I got to know them, like Dice, you know, nobody says stuff like that, right? I'm like, I know, <laughs> I'm different. <laughs> Hey, so uh, I got to ask you a question. Just thought of this earlier, but um, kind of forgot about it. That the Dave Court connection is that is that what you're saying? There's a mural behind you. That's the, a Dave Court piece, or? Oh, um, so me and Dave, he he designed the cover art. I remember you saying of the Australians. Of the Australian, and yeah. he just so I came up with the word. He brought the alien with the fingerprints to life. Yeah. So he literally he's the visual um, side of Australian. Well, uh, we know him from the awards as well. He was, yeah. I can't remember the year, 2014 maybe, 15, going back a few years when he was quite yeah. young. And it was uh, yep. actually, he had this shop mm-hmm. in uh, Rundle. No, it wasn't Rundle. Where was it? It was one of the uh, arcades. And, yeah, uh, it was an arcade. Yep. Uh, it was, oh, what was it called? Um, Fools and Trolls. Yeah, and he uh, he was showcasing yeah. all the different artists and screen printed them on T-shirts. It was really cool. Yep. He's, a, but, he's, um, a, he's a force. He's a force, man. Like, we got to give Dave Dave Court his flowers. Like he's everywhere, you know, from visual art to walls to digital art to covers to clothing. He is a good represent- representation of Adelaide. Yeah, I love Dave Court, man. He's a he's a, he's a legend. He's a good guy. And the other thing I wanted to ask you he's is definitely, that he be, he's definitely he's definitely gonna have to listen to this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's gotten a couple of shout outs, man. He's getting. <laughs> Um, and uh, so where are you recording today? Because you got a couple people around. Is that your house or? No, actually, this is uh, this is my friend's house. But uh, my studio where I usually record is Northern Sound System. And then we just have home setups and our mates' houses and hip hop. We just set up a mic and we record. Beautiful. No, that's great. And because uh, I remember at the start we uh, you had there was a little a little guy who was uh, James Banner with you at the start. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, um, yeah, little Amelia Kind. That's um, a lot of kids, man. And yeah, a lot of my friends, um, kids, like, back to losing my childhood, man. Uh, I see so much potential from kids. Yeah, I treat all my friends' kids like they're my children. 
So yeah, I, I'm like the cool uncle at the at the cookout. Well, uh, so me. <laughs> as a as a dad myself of uh, little kids, they're the favorite mm. people you want coming around. The ones that they come around and uh, mm. they want to chat to your kids. They want to play with them and talk to them. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and don't ignore them. That's uh, yeah. the beautiful thing, and it's not as common as you think. So, hundred percent. Well, the, nice. the, the 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 kingdom of um, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the meek, and the most purely meek people on this planet are children, innocence. We can learn a lot from them, and the more time you spend around them, the more of their essence you start learning, and you start learning from the energy as opposed to you feel like you know you're teaching them all the time. Hmm. Agree. Yeah. Well. Um, Indulge me with this segue, but uh, mm. speaking of the kingdom of heaven, mm. you recently helped to keep someone out and give them some more time on this earth back in February. You and another another guy just off the, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't know them. You just kind of came across someone who was in need and, and helped them out. Can you kind of recount that story for us? Uh, yo, that's, that's the one with the um, South Australian ambulance, right? Yep. Shout out to Ambers and SA, legendary people. I was just with uh, a couple of my mates, Cameron James. He's he's a real legend. He, he, he really, really helped out in that situation. He was just driving past. And um, we just happened to spot somebody lying on the ground next to a runabout in the middle of the road. We made a left and then we're like, nah, this doesn't look right. And there was a, there was a lady in SUV that was parked a bit further up the road. So the first thing that we thought, maybe somebody got hit by a car but either way it doesn't look right so he did a u-turn went back and he parked his car on the roundabout so the cars that are coming can't accidentally just turn and it was in a really really dangerous position and as soon as we got out of the car um i got out uh ran up to him and his eyes were just rolling backwards and um it was actually a gentleman from east africa i'm not too sure country i don't know if it was burundi as soon as he parked the car my mate cameron james gets out of the car he sits down next to me and I'm like, okay, what's, what's going on? He's like, all right, um, can you lift his head a little bit? We lifted his head. We see a massive sweat patch. First we thought it was blood. And then, because he's familiar with, with seizure victims, he said, Dice, I think he's having a seizure. First thing we need to do is get him some air. So we got him some air. And then the most beautiful thing started happening because everybody started seeing us gathered around this human being that needed help so many more people started stopping and just coming to help because yeah. that's the natural instinct of humanity. You see someone in danger, you help them. And within a couple of minutes, it was like 10, 12 people just there ready to just, yeah, one person's directing traffic. The other person's calling the ambulance. At this point, the guy's becoming a bit more co- coherent and he stands up and he's panicking because he has no idea all these people around him. So yeah. I speak to him, calm him down, let him know it'll be right. He's like, okay, just don't leave me. I said, oh, we, we got you, man. But we can't look after you the same way that the ambulance will. So over time, he started coming through, we moved him to the side, and everybody just waited for a good, like, 15, 20 minutes until the ambulance came. Yep. Um, and then the ambulance said, everything's all right. Everybody started leaving. Don't leave me. I said, okay, I'll be here for you, man. Because sometimes people need familiarity, you know, not just, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so he sat there, held his hand until he felt safe. And we managed to get his phone and contacted um, his mother, who then described to us that um, he was going for a walk and he must have had an episode in the most dangerous spot possible in the middle of the road. And then the mother went to meet him at the hospital. And then as soon as he knew that that I was all right, 
I part of ways with them. I thank the um, SA Ambulance guys. They did an amazing job. Incredible. Just, yeah, uh, I couldn't explain it. It was just it was so beautiful to see everyone come together like that. Yeah, day in the life of humanity. <laughs> yeah, th- those are the moments that fill you with hope that... Exactly. They fuel me. Uh, they give me the drive I need, to the, the faith in humanity that I need. Well, uh, uh, Gabriel, that's a, it's a great story and in some ways a really nice summary of, uh, of what you're all about. You see someone in need, help. As you said before, you know, you're living a mission that's almost bigger than, uh, than a person. And I think there's some great messages in this chat. People, myself included, remember that we're part of a bigger, mm-hmm. bigger thing, a bigger purpose. And uh, thanks for, for taking the time today. I really appreciate well, it. Well, I'll, 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 I'll add one more thing. And another reason why I am like that and I try to help everybody because all my life up to this point, I've had incredible incredible altruistic angels beautiful human beings help me in my life and to try and reciprocate that even a one percent ten percent for somebody else what i've seen so many people do for me for me to even be in a position that i am today breathing alive uh, making an impact and continuing to every day and trying to learn and grow every day um i don't forget a single day so that's I've had a lot of people help me. So yeah, it's 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 the cycle of life, circle of life. Actually, I might channel my inner Lion King. Circle <laughs> of life. Well, there uh, are a lot more beautiful little messages. I would encourage mm. people to check out your music. Where where's the best place that people you know can connect with you and connect with your music? Well, just you know, Dyspora, D Y S P O R A. Check me out on YouTube, Google. Check me out on Spotify, Apple Music. Um, check out Playback 808, the whole roster. Check out Music in Exile. Um, we uh, built a partnership with them. They're based in in Melbourne. They're doing amazing work right now with, with multicultural artists all across Australia. One last bonus question, actually. I, I can't learn about this previously. All right. That name, Diaspora, did that come really naturally to you? Was something that you had to, you know, uh, dive into and <laughs> think about? I used to I used to go by my name Gabriel Akon until I took a trip to Africa when I was nineteen or twenty, and I was in Kenya for three months and I met this incredible designer uh, from House of the Show. I showed him my music and he's like, "Yo, I love your music. Your name is like there's already an Akon. I'm like, that's my name. Though. He's like, yeah, you should probably change it. I'm like, All right. Oh, really? For the next yeah, then yeah. So the next three months, I'm like, All right, I got to change my name now. Like, I had a couple options and then I just thought about my life, my journey. Diaspora came up. And diaspora is actually a word that means people forced to live outside their homelands. It's a, originally it's a Greek word, tespora or tespora. And then in the English version of it, it's diaspora. So then I personalized it and made it diaspora. What better way to call myself than be the sum of my experiences? Someone who's been forced to live outside their homelands and dispersed from my homeland. That's great. Three languages later. Three languages later, I found my rap name. Look, uh, if my microphone wasn't so expensive, I would just drop it right now. It's a mic drop moment. That's a, <laughs> that's a great summary. I didn't even say it, and I still wanted to do it. But, uh, uh, thanks, uh, you know, I'll, uh, take, I'll, take, I'll take that figure of mic, mic drop. <laughs> exactly. Thanks again for taking the time. We'll uh, look forward to catching up to you, especially when I'm in Adelaide next for the uh, yeah. Young Achieve Awards event in May. So uh, take it easy, mate. Um, thank you so much for having me, and I'm so inspired by you. Even though I know you got the inspiration Australians are inspired by you for creating this platform. And 
just being an incredible human being, man. It's being so um so approachable and 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 asking all the right questions and doing it in such a such a heartfelt way. So um I look forward to seeing you grow this platform and reaching the hearts and minds of and ears of so many more people around the world, man. All right. You're too kind, man. Thank you. Keep, We're doing it doing to share stories thing. to people like you. So I appreciate those kind words. Thank you. No, I appreciate you, man. God bless you, your family, your children. Tell them Dave says what's up. I'll see him in the next cookout. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> and, go. Uh, where, where you at right now? I'm gonna where go play uh, play one of your songs for my four year old right now. Uh, I'll go and done. show it. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, which one would I suggest a four year old should listen to? Um, mm, I actually don't swear a lot in my music. No, I noticed that. Um, I showed, yeah. I showed some, some previously. So, um, uh, what's I'll let you decide. I like the one that um, th- that ends and you're saying, uh, I do this for the refugees. Grow, what well, are they, what's the next line about growing trees? And I do this for the refugees all around the world and the seven seas. We lost everything, but we planted trees hoping that our sons and daughters grow to be better trees. That's the better one, trees. Yes. And it, it ends the song on such a cool note as well. It does. It's like, it's like oh, it's like, yeah. you really just say that? Like, wow, <laughs> I really have to think. Uh, on that note, I'll share some incredible news with you, man, before I go. Listen, I'll give you another exclusive. Um, so from that TED talk, uh, TEDx talk two years ago, there was, uh, there was some people from the Department of Education down there, and they recently got in touch with me uh, from the South Australian Department of Education. And... I'm actually filming for it tomorrow. So they're going to be asking me 10 questions based on my life, my experience, my ideas, and my thoughts on what's going to happen in this country and where it should go. And um, they're going to use that as a module that is going to be an assessment piece for all year 10 students in public schools in South Australia. In English, they're going to be studying. Really? That's huge. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, that is crazy. That that, that all, all great change, yeah, starts in the heart, but also it gets sparked in the mind. So it's beautiful, man. It's a, it's an incredible opportunity. Yeah. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear more and then see that. Uh, well, some more that comes out of that. I, That'll be cool. Yeah, I figured I should share that with you, man, since you've been a legend. This has been one of my favorite interviews in a while. Thank you, mate. We'll catch, uh, you, uh, we'll catch you soon. Thank you. Uh, God bless you, Josh Griffin. I'll see you when you're in Adelaide, right? See ya. All right, take care. Peace. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com slash podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia, a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners, as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run. 
head to our website, awardsaustralia.com for more details. Until next week, stay safe. And remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.